<coughs> Today is the fifth day of our spring seven-day session, the 1st of September 2016, and we're going to continue to look at the Metta Sutta. The next uh, four lines in the Sutta read, Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Um, If you go to the Pali, then this, um, this first line Um, is more literally translated one should not put down or make a person fail um, it seems like we've gone gone out of the script mode that we were in before the actual words that we might do when we do do this meditation and this again seems to be more of a, a, a kind of instructions or guidelines uh, how to do meta effectively, and um, malice is considered to be the the diametrically opposite of of meta. So it's wishing someone ill rather than wishing them well, and so it's not surprising that um, to avoid Ill- ill will might be included in um, the instructions here. But we could also interpret this, these lines as part of what we would wish for others as well because malice, ill will, um, despising anybody um, are surefire ways of suffering too. So we could we can understand um, these lines as, as 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 part of what we would wish for ourselves and others that we avoid this corrosive, destructive uh, emotion. So in today's Taisho. I would like for us to take a look at at hatred and ill will and also at aversion, which is, is sort of the, the base um, response out of which all the different kind of flavors and brands of, of uh, ill will come. We're going to be reading some passages from um, a book called um, Happiness, a Guide to Developing Life's Most Important Skill by Mathieu Ricard. There's a whole chapter on uh, hatred. And turning to um, a Tibetan source, because they often have very incisive um, analyses of how these different afflictive uh, emotions operate in us, how they work, which can be very helpful in, in us getting a handle on what's going on if we do fall into hatred and aversion, which we inevitably do. 
when when we come into Sishin and we sit and face a wall, we we come with all kinds of aspirations to to find peace and calm and and um, clarity. But what we often find ourselves up against are uh, aversion, craving, and delusion. These are the these are the things that we actually have to transmute into awakening. They're the they're the stuff of insight if we can see through them. So these things in themselves are, are valuable, but it's all in how we react to them. So understanding, um, having an understanding of them is is a, is helpful. <coughs> Here's what <coughs> Ricard says: Hatred exaggerates the faults of its object and it ignores its good qualities. And that goes for when we uh, have hatred against ourselves too. We ignore our good points and we, we focus on our faults. It's very common. Hatred exaggerates the faults of its object and ignores its good qualities. As Aaron Beck notes, biased perceptions and thinking become set in a mental vice in response to threat, real or imaginary. This rigid frame, the prison of the mind, is responsible for much of the hate and violence that plague us. Ricard continues, The mind, steeped in animosity and resentment, encloses itself in illusion and is convinced that the source of its dissatisfaction is entirely exterior to oneself, itself. Our perception of being wronged or threatened leads us to focus exclusively on the negative aspects of a person or a group. We fail to see people and events in the context of a much vaster web of interrelated causes and conditions. Forming an image of the enemy as despicable, we generalize it to the whole person or the entire group. We solidify the evil or disgusting attributes we see in them as being permanent and intrinsic traits and turn away from any re-evaluation of the situation. We solidify people with our aversion. We see them from one, one narrow perspective and then we're resistant to, to um, re-evaluating that. We're, we're, we, we cling to our, our particular view. So in this sense, um, hatred and anger blind us often. What's needed, what's needed is a kind of cool appraisal, a stepping back and really questioning what is going on here, what is true, what is the reality of this moment? Because this moment actually is the only thing that that is real. The rest are um, opinions, memories, worries. The 
there's a there's a spiritual teacher called Byron Katie, um, and uh, she describes the kind of an awakening experience she had when um, she was staying up worrying about her daughter who who um, had a uh, problem with addiction and um, it was very late and um, Byron Katie was convinced that her daughter was going to have a car accident and kill herself and she was absolutely um, in, a, in a state of, of, of acute um, suffer, suffering, worrying about her daughter and it got so bad that she, at one point she kind of stopped and she, and she asked herself, what is actually going on here? And she realized that all she could actually say was, I'm a middle-aged woman sitting in a room. That was what was real. Everything else was a fabrication. And, and really seeing this clearly changed her whole life. And she, she has since helped many people, developed a kind of program which people can uh, participate in to work with the mind and what it throws up before us. Further on, Ricard says, self-righteousness can also make us feel the need to cleanse our entourage, society and the world at large from evil. Hence, discrimination, persecution, genocide, blind retaliation and also the death penalty, the ultimate legal retaliation. By then, we have obscured the basic benevolence that makes us appreciate everyone's aspiration to avoid suffering and achieve happiness. We lose sight of this, this basic wish that beings have. A wish which is evidence of their Buddha nature. It's longing to be fulfilled. To fully unfold. Later, Ricard quotes the Dalai Lama, talking about anger. By giving in to anger, we are not necessarily harming our enemy, but we are definitely harming ourselves. And it's important to see that he's saying giving in to anger. We're all going to feel angry. Anger is going to come up. But it's, it's giving in to it, indulging it, where it becomes problematic. And that's what he's talking about here. By giving in to anger, we are not necessarily harming our enemy, but we are definitely harming ourselves. We lose our sense of inner peace. We do everything wrong. We cannot sleep well. We put off our guests or we cast furious glances at those who have the impudence of being in our way. If we have a pet, we forget to feed it. We kick it. We make life impossible for those who live with us, and even our dearest friends are kept at a distance. 
Since there are fewer and fewer people who sympathize with us, we feel more and more lonely. To what end? Even if we allow our rage to go all the way, we will never eliminate all our enemies. Do you know of anyone who ever has? As long as we harbor that inner enemy of anger or hatred, however, as long as we harbor that inner enemy of hatred or anger, however successful we are at destroying our outer enemies today, others will emerge tomorrow. It's really, it's really a big step when we, we can, can comprehend that the, the true enemy is, is the inner one. It's the, the anger and hatred itself, not um, those who persecute us, even if that persecution is quite real, concrete. There's a story told later in this chapter about um, a monk who eventually escaped after being in prison in China for 25 years in labor camps. And he eventually got out and um, came to visit uh, the the Dalai Lama and um, told his story and it involved being tortured repeatedly over all of these 25 years, sometimes bring, bring, being brought to the brink of death. And what struck the Dalai Lama was his, his serenity, his equanimity, in spite of all the suffering that he had gone through. And so he asked him if he had ever been afraid. And the monk answered, I was often afraid of hating my torturers, for in so doing I would have destroyed myself. Ricard goes on to um, quote, Etty Hillesom, who was an Auschwitz survivor. She said, I can see no way around it. Each of us must look inside himself and excise and destroy everything he finds there which he believes should be excised and destroyed in others. We may be quite certain that the least iota of hatred that we bring into the world will make it an even more inhospitable place than it already is. This is often a, a big issue for, for people who work um, on peace and disarmament issues because 
what very often comes up um, is a lot of anger seeing what is, is being done by our leaders the, 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 the money that's poured into arms the, the uh, cynical way in which uh, wars are started and, and uh, kept going think of the Syrian crisis and, and uh, the failure of all the different world powers to, to um, find a way through the conflict that didn't involve this destructive war, so destructive. But if we bring, if we bring, um, if we despise these people who we take to be responsible, then we're just adding to the problem. We're, we're imprisoning them in one view of, of them. This is Ram Das again. There was a time when my aggravation with the system focused on Caspar Weinberger, Secretary of Defence. He was he was Secretary of Defence under George Bush, um, along and was one well, part of his cabinet at the time when Cheney was there. I'm sure he was no worse than many others but there was something about his cold arrogance and apparent lack of wisdom that infuriated me. So I got a picture of Casper and placed it on my puja table, my altar, with all my spiritual heroes. Then each morning when I lit my incense and honoured the beings represented on the altar, I'd feel waves of love and appreciation toward my guru, Buddha, Christ, Ananda Maima, Ramana Mahashi and Hanuman. I'd wish them each good morning with such tenderness. Then I'd come to Casper's picture and I'd feel my heart constrict and I'd hear the coldness in my voice as I said, Good morning, Casper. Each morning I'd see what a long way I still had to go. Wasn't Casper just another face of God? Couldn't I oppose his actions and still keep my heart open to him? Wouldn't it be harder for him to become free from the role he was obviously trapped in if I, with my mind, just kept reinforcing the traps by, inter- by identifying him with his acts? The Indian poet Kabir said, Do what you do to another person, but never put them out of your heart. It's a tall order, but what else is there to do? Do what you do to another person, but never put them out of your heart.
think that's what this this Metta Sutta is is telling us in these lines. Never put anyone out of your heart. Never despise anyone and 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 if you can don't wish harm upon another which so often can lead to, to doing harm to oneself as well as the other. Master Hakuin said the fires of wrath and anger consume entire forests of merit and virtue. The fires of wrath and anger consume entire mer- forests of merit and virtue. Immediately when reading this verse, thought of um, somebody that um, Richard met years ago uh, when he was first at university. He was part of a group of, um, that was going into Mount Eden Prison to um, share poetry with some of the inmates who wrote themselves. And among this group there was... Um, Lieutenant Colonel Arapeta Awatere, who had served with great distinction in World War II. Uh, he was a cultured man. He had learnt Italian in Italy and he could quote Dante in the original, which he did at these meetings, as well as reading out his own verse. And he was in Mount Eden because he had killed his mistress's lover in a, in a jealous rage stabbed him in the heart in that, in that act in, in of a few moments he, he ruined his life He actually died in prison before his, his sentence was over. It's there for seven years. To, to go to the other end of the scale in terms of, of extreme examples, one of my five favorite haikus, or it's really a, a senryu, more um, comic verse, and it goes like this: Whenever I get angry, the drawer won't open. Everybody has has experienced this. How how things go wrong? They don't cooperate when we're angry. We create a kind of energy field when we're um, in, in a um, state of strong aversion. 
when when we were living in London in the early 80s we were going to all kinds of workshops it was part of why we were there and doing different kinds of theatre workshops and we had learnt this this vocal technique called Mongolian overtone chanting and um, we were staying in in a terrace house and chalk farm and one day I was trying to practice this technique and just getting more and more into a kind of state of panic over not being able to do it and and thinking to myself I can't do it I can't do it and um, sort of going into this funk about it and at a certain point, just feeling like I was just hopeless and was never going to get it, I gave up and I went upstairs and um, ran a bath and um, was had got into the bath, still kind of all roiling with all my anger and frustration at myself and... Um, Propped in the in the the sash window above the bath, there was this large piece of uh, lead light, a stained glass panel, um, and I was just in the bath washing, and this panel fell from the window, um, broke as it landed on my head, and then made a huge gash in my shoulder. Um, the, with the, the edge of the broken parts and that was it fell because it was very heavy it was all lined in lead around the edges of the pieces of glass and um, ended up having to um, screaming for Richard and ambulance had to be called and I spent a couple of weeks in hospital had to have skin graft and then another surgery later on to repair the the, the shoulder but I I often have wondered about that, why that piece of glass um, fell at that very moment. Um, whether my whether my state of mind contributed to it falling then, because I was certainly in a in a, a pretty nasty frame of mind right there, um, just as we can. And radiate love we can also radiate hate later on I came to see this this I can't do it as a pattern I could see it through different things in my life this, I can't do it along with this kind of panic and fear and aversion really a desire to to run to to Get off the bus. Another time this happened was when I was about five or six and learning the polka in ballet class, and and again the same um, same feeling came up. It was like I was being exposed to my feeling, all my feelings of inadequacy and having to learn a new thing. And somehow the fear was that I would would be proved that I wasn't good enough if I if I tried my hardest to to learn this polka 
and didn't learn it, then that would be proof that, that I was no good. And I just wanted to get away from that feeling more than anything else. It still comes up, this, this feeling of I can't do it. Giving Taisho. This feeling of, oh, I've got nothing to say. How can I even say a word? And what it really is, it's a kind of this, this reluctance to go into a, a place of, of not knowing. Not knowing what I'll say or how it will turn out. And maybe it'll go badly. Well, sometimes it does. Sometimes I feel foolish afterwards for something I've said. Over the years, um, this, this, um, I can't do it has maybe become a bit less powerful, still painful when it comes, still there, but I can keep going with it. Mainly the way that that I can get beyond it is connecting to what I need to say, how I need to respond to where people are at in their practice, things that they're struggling with. If I can make that connection, then all my concerns about giving a good talk or not, not appearing stupid, I just drop away. find a way to to get beyond self-concern to just recognize oh fear is coming up aversion is coming up the Tibetan tradition they have this um, teaching about um, hatred aversion and what they teach is of course patience is considered to be a virtue in spiritual practice but the one thing they say that you don't need to be patient about is hatred That's something to be impatient with, to, um, to resent even, because it does us so much damage. It hurts so much. It does us damage, it do, does the objects of our hatred damage. 
Here's what Ricard says. The only target of resentment possible is hatred itself. It is a deceitful, relentless and unbending enemy that tirelessly disrupts and destroys our lives. As appropriate as patience without weakness may be toward those we consider to be our enemies, it is entirely inappropriate to be patient with hatred itself, regardless of the circumstances. As Kiense Rinpoche said, it is time to redirect hatred away from its usual targets, our so-called enemies, and toward itself. Indeed, hatred is your real enemy, and it is hatred that you should destroy. Sometimes we can we can um, can use the, yeah, the the energy of hatred um, to fire our practice. If we can bring we can sort of harness the energy of the actual hatred and turn it on the hatred itself. It's a kind of alchemy that we're undertaking. Uh, Ricard continues it is futile to try to repress or reverse it i.e. hatred we must go straight to the roots of hatred and rip them up Etty Hillisum this is the um, Holocaust survivor again speaks to this issue she said they speak of extermination better to exterminate the evil within a man than the man himself There are no remedies other than personal awareness, inner transformation and perseverance. These are the tools we need to work on this inner enemy of hatred. Malice is a pathological condition. A society prey to blind fury toward another sector of humanity is merely a group of individuals alienated by ignorance and hatred. Afflicted, sick. Conversely, when enough individuals have accomplished this selfless change, society can evolve toward a more humane collective attitude, integrate the repudiation of hatred and vengeance into its laws, abolish the death penalty, and promulgate respect for human rights. We must never forget, however, that there can be no outer disarmament without inner disarmament. Each and every one must change, and this process begins with oneself. Think of that um, the famous line, lines from the Dhammapada. Hatred, hatred is never appeased by hatred. By love alone is hatred appeased. This is an, an eternal law. Hatred is never appeased by hatred. By love alone is hatred appeased. This is an eternal law. It's a kind of um, self-love and, and, and care to um, not um, put up with getting caught up in anger, but to pour the energy of that anger into the practice.
sometimes means being quite fierce. We um, have a, uh, a figure, it's, it's actually not at the centre at the moment, but of, the, of Fudo, who's a kind of guardian bodhisattva, and he has a very fierce expression on his face. And for fierce things, sometimes fear, fear, uh, a fierce response is required. Just to not have patience with it. And just come back with energy. That's sometimes the form that love takes. But not towards the what we imagine to be the sources of what is being done, how the ways in which being wronged, but to the anger itself. If we to, to hate anything, that's what we required to hate. shoot down the missiles themselves not the, the one we imagine is, is firing those missiles at us to work on reducing the sum total of hatred in our world Not to despise anything or anyone. Not even the um, our own shortcomings. It's really a choice we have. What kind of world do we want to live in? Do we want to radiate hate or do we want to radiate love? There's a story that was um, going around a few years ago. Um, sometimes it's attributed to a Native American source, but it may just be something that somebody made up more recently. And it's called The Wolves Within. And it's a story of a, um, a grandfather um, whose grandson came to him after something had happened at school, um, some injustice which he had suffered, and um, the grandfather tells him a little story to, to teach him how to work with this, his anger. He says, I too at times have felt a great hate for those who have taken so much with no sorrow for what they do. But hate wears you down and does not hurt your enemy. It is like taking poison and wishing your enemy to die. I have struggled with these feelings many times. It is as if there were two wolves inside me, 
one is good and does no harm. He lives in harmony with all around him and does not take offence when no offence was intended. He will only fight when it is right to do so and in the right way. But the other wolf, ah, he is full of anger. The littlest thing will set him off into a fit of temper. He fights everyone all the time for no reason. He cannot think because his anger and hate are so great. It is hard to live with these two wolves inside me, for both of them try to dominate my spirit. The boy then looks intently into his grandfather's eyes and says, Which wolf wins, grandfather? And the grandfather then solemnly says to his grandson, the one I feed. not despising others, not feeding our hatred and anger, resentment. These go along with realizing that our suffering doesn't come from outside. One Tibetan teacher, um, Jigme Lingpa, said, we are ourselves the place wherein our pain is all prepared. We are ourselves the place wherein our pain is all prepared. That, that Tibetan who spent 25 years in a labor camp knew that. And so the one thing he feared was letting his, his um, hatred get, get the better of him. Our aversions and our cravings are what distort our, not only our perception of the world, but our lives as well. Because we, we get into this mode of thinking, if only I could just get, get the practice right, then I wouldn't be suffering. Or as Ajahn Somedo put it, thinking if only I could get what I need to be happy is not the way to end suffering. If only I could get what I need to be happy, if only I could get the answer to the koan or perfect concentration in the breath. If only I could get what I need. That's the, that's the core of our suffering. Baudelaire um, gives beautiful image for this. 
He says, this life is a hospital in, in which each sick man is possessed by a desire to change beds. One would prefer to suffer by the stove. Another believes he would recover if he sat by the window. I think I would be happy in that place I happen not to be, and this question of moving house is the subject of a perpetual dialogue I have with my soul. We think, if only, if only I was somewhere else other than where I am. If only I could avoid the bitter and always be tasting the sweet. Oscar Wilde said, For the secret of life is suffering. It is what is hidden behind everything. When we begin to live, what is sweet is so sweet to us, and what is bitter is so bitter, that we inevitably direct all our desires towards pleasure, and seek not merely a month or twain to feed on honeycomb, but for all our years to taste no other food, ignorant the while that we may really be starving the soul. get plenty of opportunities in Sashin to taste both the sweet and the bitter and that's fine either one but not to push away the bitter to try and um, hold on to the sweet in that is true happiness, true sukkah, not fighting, not grasping. Taking everything as necessary necessary in this moment not defining us or our lives just things as they are We can be sure that the sweetness will pass. 
but we can also be sure that the suffering will pass. I'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to 